Welcome to Oncofun. I'm your host, Jean Bazar, uh, recording this from my office here uh, at the Gatton College of Pharmacy, who who brings you this uh, this um, this podcast, this Oncology Pharmacy podcast. Uh, today, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the new uh, two new drugs just approved yesterday: encorafenib uh, and benimetinib, or maybe it's oncorafenib. I'm not sure. This is another. Uh, this is basically the third. Uh, it's, it's kind of a me too approval. So this is a BRAF inhibitor, uh, encorafenib or encorafenib, and benimetinib is a MEK inhibitor. This is the third combination we have approved for unresectable or metastatic melanoma with a BRAF V600E or V600K mutation. Um, so encorafenib with the RAF is the BRAF inhibitor, and benimetinib with the ME in the middle is the MEK inhibitor. Uh, so since this is really a Me Too indication, uh, we'll go through um, some of the bits of the approval, a little bit of the study, but really kind of try to make an unsafe, from a drug information purist standpoint, an unsafe comparison to the other studies, and then look at some of the difference between the BRAF inhibitors and then some of the things to watch out for with uh, with the MEK inhibitor. So the approval in Carafin is 450 milligrams uh, by mouth once daily, and Benimetinib, 45 milligrams by mouth, twice daily. Uh, one thing that I'll point out, uh, as, as I think we've talked about in the past, that combining uh, the BRAF inhibitor with the MEK inhibitor uh, blunts some of this kind of paradoxical uh, upregulation or activation of the MAP kinase pathway, uh, which, makes, which leads to a different toxic profile, especially with regards to dermatologic events. So uh, the maximum tolerated dose of single agent uh, Encorafenib was three. Encor or in? I got to figure out how to say this. I'm going to say encorafenib. Encorafenib. The MTD of encorafenib, 300 milligrams. With benimetinib, with the MEK inhibitor, patients could tolerate 450 milligrams once a day. So a higher dose uh, was tolerated with the MEK inhibitor. And that is what was uh, FDA approved. And the FDA approval was based on the Columbus study, uh, which compared uh, the combination of encorafenib and benimetinib to encorafenib by itself, although that wasn't a formal statistical comparison in the publication, uh, and then single-agent vimurafenib. Why just compare it to a BRAF inhibitor? I don't know, because it would make the drug look better. It was doesn't help us at all uh, as clinicians. I would much rather have seen a, a BRAF MEK inhibitor compared to another BRAF MEK inhibitor. Even a non-inferiority study would have provided us more useful information than comparing a combo of drugs who we would expect to work better compared to a single BRAF inhibitor. Anyway, uh, looking at just the, the median progression-free survival from the study, 14.9 months for the combination compared to 7.3 months for venurafenib, uh, and that was statistically significant. Uh, and I'll note that that PFS uh, of 7.3 months for single-agent venurafenib is a little bit better than two months by the initial uh, publication, um, the initial study of venurafenib as a single-agent in roughly the same population. Now. So it, does, it makes sense, right, that the dual, that combo TKI blockade, dual TKI blockade, would be better than, than vimurafenib alone. What's interesting is that encorafenib by itself had a higher uh, median progression-free survival numerically compared to vimurafenib. wasn't compared statistically. So it was 9.6 months median PFS with encorafenib uh, and 7.3 with vimurafenib. A little interesting, and, and we'll revisit this later. Now, if you look at the inclusion-exclusion criteria for the encorafenib-benimetinib study, the dibrafenib-trametinib study, and the vimurafenib 
Kobe-Metnip study, the inclusion-exclusion criteria are pretty similar. If you look at the baseline demographics between the studies, they're pretty similar with regards to percent who had received uh, prior immunotherapy, uh, with regards to who had M1, M2, or M3 stage of disease uh, based on how many sites of metastases they had. So roughly equivalent populations. So I'm going to look at now comparing these three regimens just to see if anything stands out with regards to what is essentially uh, a me too set of drugs. So median PFS for uh, incorrapin and bidimetinib, I already said was 14.9 months. In the pivotal studies uh, for dibrafenib trametinib, it was 9.3 months, and then vimerafenib cobimetinib, 9.9 months. So you're looking at 9 to 10 months for the other two versus 15 months with this new. Um, uh, with this, with the new incarapinib benimetinib. Now, can't really say that it's better than the others. It wasn't compared to those, but it is interesting to think about. And we'll revisit mechanistically why that may be. Uh, if you look at overall response rate, uh, it doesn't even matter which groups we're talking about. 63%, 67%, 68%. So about a 65% overall response rate, regardless of, of which uh, which uh, dual or which duo of drugs you used. Uh, now the duration response uh, looked really high, 16.6 months for incarapinib benimetinib um, versus 9.2 months for dibratinib, trametinib, and then uh, it was not reached in the pivotal vimerapinib cobimetinib because of insufficient follow-up, but it was at least more than seven months. Probably can't take much from that. Now of these endpoints here, overall response rate may be the most important, um, and that, that may sound a little contradictory, but the reason for that, if you look at the NCC and guidelines, um, BRAF inhibitors would be preferred in BRAF mutated metastatic melanoma if you required an immediate response. So who would need an immediate response? Somebody who was in a lot of pain because they had a really bulky disease, uh, and the idea would be you might put them into a good response with these drugs and then maybe try immunotherapy later. Not at the same time, because immunotherapy uh, plus vimerafenib, for example, showed an unacceptable rate of, of liver toxicity. So it appears any of these three uh, uh, BRAF-MEC drug duos have about the equivalent overall response rate, and maybe there's more median, there's more progression-free survival benefit with incarafenib and benimetinib. Maybe. Why would that be? Well, incarafenib has a longer dissociation half-life. So once it binds to BRAF, uh, to the mutated BRAF, it takes longer for it to dissociate compared to the other two. So the dissociation half-life for incarafenib is 30 hours compared to two hours or 30 minutes. Uh, likewise, the IC50, so that's the amount of the concentration of the drug needed to occupy 50% of its binding site, uh, is lower with incarafenib. So 40 nanomoles per liter, lower is better in this case. Uh, which is lower than 100 nanomoles per meter, or one micromole uh, per liter. So incarafenib seems to be more potent, seems to be a, a little stickier, and hangs on to that receptor better. That may be good. Now, this is not so good. It is available as a 50 and 75 milligram capsule, uh, which means if you take just the 75 milligram capsules, you need six of them per dose to get to 450 milligrams, which is the dose. Now, there's been a trend lately with uh, these oral oncolytics being approved initially with uh, these multiple dosage forms, oftentimes capsules, which are probably easier to make uh, as far as a clinical trial. Uh, and then later, after the drug's been on the market, then um, a tablet comes out that, uh, that is at the full dosage form. So an example of this is a, a Laparib, initially available as smaller dosage form. Now there's a different dosage form avail available that decreases the pill burden. 
Likewise, ibrutinib initially approved just as capsules in 140 milligram capsules. Now there's a 560 milligram tablet and a 420 milligram tablet, which is nice, makes for a more convenient dosing. Uh, patients just have to take one uh, either tablet, you know, usually a day. Uh, that does complicate things if you do dose reduction. So instead of having someone, say, from taking four capsules a day down to three, um, they don't have to get a new prescription. They can use the supply they already have at home. So we'll see if that trend continues with Encarafenib in the future. Now, as we compare these three BRAF inhibitors, um, Encarafenib and Venurafenib can be taken with or without food. Uh, Dibrafenib needs to be taken on an empty stomach because taking it with food decreases the, uh, the absorption area under the curve by about 30%. Although there's this, if you look in the, the Venurafenib package insert, taking it with a high fat meal increases uh, the AUC fivefold which seems like you shouldn't take it with a high-fat meal, but the PI uh, doesn't differentiate because in the clinical studies, it was taken without regard for food. They are all metabolized via 3A4, uh, with the exception of dibrafenib, which is metabolized by both 3A4 and CYP2C8, so maybe a little bit more potential for drug interactions with dibrafenib as far as uh, its metabolism is concerned. All of these three drugs have some funky drug-drug interactions and what they do to other metabolic routes. So Encarafenib inhibits, and it, this is confusing, UGT1A1, CYP1A2, CYP2D6, CYP2C8, CYP2C9, CYP2D6, CYP3A4, P-glycoprotein, and the transporter OAT-P1B1. Now, that's a lot, right? So inhibiting UGT1A1, that would be problematic if, say, uh, you were on that drug and you needed to take irinotecan, for example. Um, 2C9, main metabolic route of the S or the strong enantiomer of warfarin. 3 4, you know, the metabolic route of every other drug, let's say. However, uh, Encarafenib seems to undergo some autoinduction, and the PI is not terribly clear on this, and this is a problem with newly approved drugs, is there's often not the full drug interaction potential picture available to us when the drug is first approved. And uh, Encarafenib inhibits all those enzymes I mentioned, but also has the ability to induce 2B6, 2C9, and 3A4. Uh, so we certainly would, I personally would love to see a lot more um, PK drug interaction studies before uh, rolling this out into uh, uh, you know, our patient population. Uh, Vimurafenib, also a little confusing. It inhibits 1A2, 2A6, 2B6, 2C8, 2C9, 2C19, 2D6, uh, 3A4, but also is a weak inducer of 3A4, which could have some problems with drug interactions. Uh, Dibrafenib, probably the biggest drug interaction concern of these three is with Dibrafenib. I already mentioned it's a 2C8 substrate, which is different from the other two, but it is an, a moderate inducer of 3A4, 2C9, and 2B6 induction as well. So a moderate inducer of 3A4 means it's going to at least double the exposure of drugs that are primary substrates of 3A4. So the potential for some pretty big drug interactions with all these may be more so with Dibrafenib. Uh, there's really no effect of gastric acid suppressants on, on any of these three drugs. They all do have some QT prolongation. Um, the average prolongation of the QTC interval was 18 milliseconds with encarafenib, 15 milliseconds with venerafenib, so about the same. The dibrafenib PI doesn't report the QT prolongation in the same way, but it does say that a prolongation of more than 60 milliseconds was present in, in less than 4% of patients, 3.8. So some QT prolongation, all these drugs to be aware about. Uh, another thing that I'll keep in mind is that these drugs, like many tyrosine kinase inhibitors, do not just inhibit, say, 
uh, mutant type BRAF. They also inhibit wild type BRAF. Um, for example, venrafenib inhibits CRAF and ARAF as well, as well as FGR, SRMS, ACK1, and, and MAP4K5. Um, I don't know what all those are, to be honest. Uh, now, encarafenib also inhibits wild type BRAF, CRAF, uh, but also inhibits MEK4. So it has some MEK inhibition uh, as well as this um, BRAF inhibition. And this may explain two things. One, maybe that's an explanation, along with maybe being having a higher affinity for BRAF for what may be a better drug of these BRAF inhibitors. Uh, when you think of the median PFS of almost 15 months compared to, to not even reaching or just reaching 10 months with the other two BRAF inhibitor combinations. But also maybe it's a MEK inhibitor on top of that, and that may have some clinical utility. And we get a clue from this as well in that single-agent encarafenib, if you look at the Kaplan-Meier curves of single-agent encarafenib versus the duo of encarafenib-benimitinib, um, there's not a statistically significant difference in progression-free survival, or there almost is. The p-value was 0.051, but the curves uh, are fairly close, and maybe that's because encarafenib also inhibits MEK and provides uh, maybe a two-for-one effect. Um, but again, uh, I'm just kind of theorizing here. All right, so that's encarafenib. Let's go on to benimetinib, which is our MEK inhibitor. And the dose is 45 milligrams uh, twice a day. And again, it needs to be taken, um, oh, excuse me. It is available as uh, 15 milligram tablets. And it is taken, so that means three doses and it's taking, uh, taken twice a day. And it can be taken with or without regard to food, just like with encarafenib. So I will go into, for time's sake, into a comparison of all the MEK inhibitors. Um, but there are some interesting things about the pharmacokinetics of benimetinib. It's primarily metabolized by UGT1A1, and if you remember, encarafenib is a UGT1A1 inhibitor. doesn't mean this is a big drug interaction to worry about because the drugs were studied together. And if it were a big drug interaction, we would have seen that in the studies. So about 60% of the metabolism of benimetinib is through UGT1A1. There is an active metabolite. Uh, that's produced via CYP1A2 and 2C19. Uh, uh, and it, again, uh, encarafenib does interact with 2C9, uh, both as an inhibitor and an inducer uh, somehow. Uh, and that's about 8.6% of the exposure of benimetinib is from that active metabolite. So there may be some consequences with drug interactions there, but if it's only 8.6% of the exposure, probably not enough to do any uh, change uh, any outcomes clinically. Uh, it does not have any effect on three or four substrates. That's very clear in the package insert. What's not clear is if they tested for uh, its either inhibitory or induction effects on any other P450 isozymes. Um, my favorite thing to do when I'm looking at a new drug, if I'm just trying to be brief and get a big picture overview of the drug, is to look at the warnings precaution sections. So for benimetinib, we see uh, the chance of a decrease in LVEF or cardiomyopathy. We see that for the other MEK inhibitors. Uh, we see uh, a risk of VTE, which we see with one other MEK inhibitor. There's a, a warning for ocular toxicity, like uh, ocular uh, retinal um, artery occlusion, and we see it with both other MEK inhibitors, or MEK inhibitors. We see a risk of interstitial lung disease along with another MEK inhibitor. Hepatotoxicity, again, not new. Uh, a chance of rhabdomyolysis, and in fact, 16% of people in Columbus had um, an increase in their CPK. We see that with another MEK inhibitor. Hemorrhage as a risk. We see it with both MEK inhibitors, and then embryo fetal toxicity we see with them as well. Um, compared to the other MEK inhibitors, there seem to be less dermatologic toxicity. Um, uh, 
with benimetinib, there seemed to be less pyrexia or fever and severity as opposed to trametinib, which has a lot of problems with fever, especially uh, initially starting the drug. And then less photosensitivity with benimetinib uh, compared to uh, cobimetinib, for example, which has quite a bit of it. So maybe the folks uh, in Australia might favor uh, this over cobimetinib because of the photosensitivity reason. Uh, and then I just want to end with, with this. I don't typically use brand names when I'm talking about drugs. But these are Me Too drugs, and if you're going to name a Me Too drug, you know, be clever about it, make it easy, make it something. So the brand name of Encraftinib is Braftovi, B-R-A-Raftovi, maybe it's B-Raftovi. Uh, and then the brand name for Benimetinib is Mectovi. So, you know, they put the B-Raft and the Mech right in their name to make it easy for us because with all these oral drugs coming out, who can keep them straight anymore? Uh, it's hard for me to do that. Um, so that's what we have on these, on these two new drugs. Um, before we before we go, I want to let you know that I'm going to be out of the, out of town, out of the office the next two weeks. But there will be pods. The pods will go on, um, probably releasing on Thursdays of the next two weeks. Uh, just know that if there's some breaking news, new drug approval, you're not going to hear it in the next two weeks because I will not be uh, here to record it. But I will when I get back. And uh, as always, I hope to see you all a little further down the road. Thank you.